Hi there and welcome to the Dolby Anglican podcast. My name is David Brown and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. If you'd like to learn more about our church, then please visit anglicandolby.org.au. This week's sermon is from Acts chapter 42, chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And in the morning service, Colin Waters read that passage for us. Uh, and I'll, I'll play that for you now. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. The Fellowship of the Believers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and of prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God indeed. And as we did in last week's podcast, Today's sermon will be a little bit longer than the sermon that was preached this morning in the 8am live stream service. If you'd like to listen to that sermon, you can go to our Facebook page or our YouTube um, or anglicandolby.org.au forward slash online to watch that live stream. But for the podcast, for the time being, I've decided to uh, write a more robust sermon than the morning sermon uh, and give a couple of extra Uh, tidbits of of research and information that I think are helpful for opening up the chapter and and lend well to a podcast format. So I hope you enjoy the sermon and here it is. May the words of my lips and the thoughts of our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, for the last few weeks, we've been looking at Acts chapter 2, which gives us a snapshot of the early church. Like any good photo, this passage captures the Jesus movement from its best angle. Last week, we heard how Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, who allowed him to preach such a powerful sermon that 3,000 people were baptized that day. The end of Acts 2 gives us a glimpse of what church can be. Now, at this point, it's important to appreciate that some parts of the Bible are prescriptive and have a direct application for today. When Exodus 20.13, for example, says, do not murder, there's a pretty clear literal prescription for today. Other passages, like this one we see in Acts, describe something that happened, and we need to read carefully to appropriately apply them to our lives. It's important that we apply this passage to our lives without thinking that everything here is a prescription for today. For instance, when we read in verse 46 that the disciples continue to meet in the temple courts, That doesn't mean we need to go out to find a temple court to meet in. It's descriptive. With that in mind, let's jump into the passage itself. As the Holy Spirit broke out that day, the real miracle was that the lives of 3,000 plus people were broken open for God. 
Acts 2, 42-49, tells us how in response to the gift of Jesus in his body and blood, minds, wallets, worship and witness were broken open by the power of the Holy Spirit. This has continued to happen in the church ever since. In verse 42 we read, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. The first thing people do as they become Christians in Acts chapter 2 is that they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles were Jesus' original disciples, who he sends into the world to make disciples of all nations. Now you might be asking how we can dedicate ourselves to the apostles' teaching if all the apostles are dead. Well, the apostles knew their time on earth was short, so they preserved their teaching for us in the Bible. This is why we devote ourselves to the Bible, because it tells us what the apostles taught. The Bible is the best resource we have to help us understand who Jesus is and what he actually taught, because it was written by those who knew him best. As a church, we meet in small groups and in big groups, in social groups and in Bible studies, to let God's word break open our minds. Notice how the early church was first and foremost a group of people who were devoted to learning more about Jesus. All sorts of people were all struck by Jesus and were dedicated to learning more about him. As they got to know Jesus more, they, became, they began to see miracles performed in Jesus' name. This still happens today. As we devote ourselves to being disciples of Jesus, we see our minds open to God and we see we will see miracles happen. The more time you spend with God's people, the more you will see people healed, lives changed and hearts set on fire for God. It's important to appreciate there wasn't a weekend in the ancient world. Instead, Sunday was the first day of the week, like our Monday. Early Christians would meet before or after work early in the morning or late at night, to remember the day Jesus rose again. Slowly over time, as more people became Christians, the Jewish Sabbath, that's our Saturday, and the day of Jesus' resurrection, Sunday, evolved into our weekend. Sadly, our weekends are slowly being claimed by sport, shopping and work. This isn't because there aren't enough laws to protect Sunday as a day of worship. It's because less people are devoting themselves to living for Jesus. This is why as Christians, we need to take back Sunday and annex that day in our lives as a day of rest and a day to come together in worship services. You may have to work on a Sunday. You may have a kid's sport or something like that. But I encourage you in your life to make time for worship, to make time for rest as well on a Sunday. Because how we treat our Sundays will influence the rest of society. Being a follower of Jesus is about dedicating your life, not begrudgingly, but gladly to Jesus' teaching and breaking open our minds to how God wants us to live. It's not about forcing ourselves to study. It's about intentionally setting time aside weekly to learn and grow in our knowledge and deepen our relationship with Jesus. This is why it's vital that we take back Sunday and every day to break and open our minds and get to know Christ better. 
Next we read in verses 44 to 45 that all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Here we see how people had their finances broken open. They shared everything they had and sold property to give to those in need. The first Christians shared everything because they realised that they were one family in Christ. They obviously didn't share their spouses and boundaries are necessary in any family. Still, this sort of spirit-filled sharing and radical generosity goes wherever the Holy Spirit goes. We live in a society that's becoming greedier and more individualistic and thus more anxious and unhappy. When we share our lives with our sisters and brothers in Christ, we begin to see life on earth as it is in heaven. Church father John Christossom gives us a beautiful description of the community that was created in Acts. Chapter 2. He writes, This was an angelic commonwealth, not to call anything of their own. Forthwith, the root of all evils was cut out. None reproached, none envied, none grudged, no pride, no contempt was there. The poor man knew no shame. The rich, no haughtiness. It's important that Western Christians see the challenge of this passage before we write it off as a blip in history. Notice how this radical generosity isn't mandated. It's spontaneous. It's not forced. It's totally voluntary. This isn't Christian communism. As people realized that Jesus had given his life for them, they wanted to respond to God's radical grace. While many sold properties, we read all through Acts that they still met in private homes, so private property was still a thing. Some communities and cults at the time made it compulsory for people to sell all their possessions and put the money in a common pot. The crucial difference in the Christian community was that people were free to hold on to their possessions, but in response to Jesus and their love for him, people would spontaneously sell property and give the proceeds to those in need. Friend, Jesus might be calling you to sell all you have and to live for him. But for the vast majority of Christians, we're just encouraged to celebrate radical and regular generosity, giving of all that we have, because everything we have ultimately comes from God. Generosity is the right response to God's gifts to us. The first thing Christians the first Christians were all Jews, and they continued giving the 10% tithe of all their income to the poor, as laid out in the Old Testament. Here, however, we see they offered over and above that, just as Jesus taught. This is why we talk about tithes and offerings today. Giving 10% of all income is a helpful guide. But our giving today shouldn't be about meeting some sort of compulsory percentage target. Instead, it's about responding to God's generosity by being generous ourselves. Jesus taught and practiced radical generosity, constantly encouraging people to go above and beyond the Old Testament tithe and to give sacrificially towards caring for the poor and building up the kingdom of God. The early church broke open their wallets in response to God's love and also out of love for their struggling neighbours. This is a great example for us to follow. 
This is why when my wife and I budget, we sit down and figure out what 10% of our income is and annex that for God. Then we think about how much we need to live and care for our family and how much we can give to our church, to the missionaries we support and other charitable causes. When I studied economics, I learned that money is a medium of exchange. When I became a Christian, I learned that money is simply a tool I can use to glorify God and love my neighbor. Love money and you'll begin to use people to get more. Love people and you'll use your money to love people and get more out of life. I'm convinced that the church is the world's best weapon against poverty. Weekly, I'm stunned by the generosity of our church. Just this week, two pensioners came into church and gave two $50 gift vouchers for anyone in need. They give regularly, but they know times are tough and people are losing their jobs, so they want to bless others. That's what God does. Jesus gave everything for us so we can give lavishly of our material possessions to bless others. Let's not pass by this incredible example of radical Christian generosity we see in Acts 2 without asking ourselves how we can give to further the mission of God's church. So God breaks open our minds, our wallets, and our worship. Twice in this passage, Luke mentions that people broke bread together and prayed together. In verse 42 and here in verse 46 we read, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. The breaking of bread describes how the church shared meals together, but also how very early on in the life of the church, the Lord's Supper became a central act of worship. Before his crucifixion, Jesus took bread, broke it and shared it as a symbol of his body broken for us. Then he took a cup of wine and shared it as a symbol of his blood poured out for the sins of the world, saying, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. This became a focal point of Christian worship. No longer do Christians need to offer sacrifices of bulls and goats in the temple because Jesus, our one perfect and sufficient sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins, has died for us. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Sadly, as time went on, remembrance of the Lord's Supper, which was meant to be a unifying memorial meal, became the opposite. By the time Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, Christians were using church meals to get drunk and show off their wealth. Class divides which existed outside the church quickly began to trickle into the church. Since then, how we celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper, Mass, the Eucharist, or whatever we call it, has continued to divide Christians. Questions about what the bread and wine become as we share it, and how Jesus is present at this holy meal, have split the church. In Acts, however, we read that the followers of Jesus broke bread with glad and sincere hearts. Here was a time to remember Jesus and remember that God's people are the body of Christ on earth. Michael Bird writes, the bread and the wine of the Eucharist actually fosters a vertical communion with the risen Christ and facilitates a closer horizontal relationship with fellow believers. For me, the catechism in a prayer book for Australia really summarizes what communion is all about. In it, the candidate is asked six questions 
and a suggested response is given in the prayer book. Question one is, why did Jesus give the sacrament of the Lord's Supper? And the response is, for the continual remembrance of his atoning death and for the benefits we receive because of it. Question two is, what is the outward part or sign of the Lord's Supper? The response, bread and wine, which the Lord commanded us to give in remembrance of him. What is the inward part or thing signified is the third question. The body and blood of Christ, which are truly taken and received by the faithful in the Lord's Supper, is the answer. Question number four is, what benefits do we derive from this? The response, we are spiritually refreshed and strengthened by the blood of Christ, as our bodies are nourished by the bread and wine. Question five, what is required of those who come to the Lord's Supper? The response they should examine themselves to see whether they repent of their sins and intend to live a new life. They should live a lively faith in God's mercy through Christ with thankful remembrance of his death and resurrection. They should love their neighbours as themselves. The last question is, what do we look forward to as we participate in the Lord's Supper? The response, as we express our unity by gathering at the Lord's table, we proclaim his death and look for his coming again. What a beautiful summary about what the Lord's Supper is all about. Last year, when our church was surveyed, we found that having communion was one of the most important aspects of our Sunday services. This hurt my ego because I thought it would be sermons, but it's right that we value such a tactile, wonderful way of remembering Jesus and his sacrifice for us. This is why preaching of the word and celebrating the Lord's Supper, word and sacrament, go together in our worship services. The Holy Spirit breaks open our minds and our tables and helps us to offer our whole lives as living sacrifices of praise to God. We can worship God on our own, in big gatherings and small. The important thing is that we spend time with God and each other regularly and are nourished in word and sacrament. When we meet together as the body of Christ, people are encouraged and the church is built up. This is why I encourage you not to think that church online is a replacement for the physical gathering of the body of Christ. We've actively chosen not to celebrate communion at St. John's or St. Margaret's until everyone can be together again in our building. Because being a Christian on your own is a little bit like playing tennis or football on your own. Sure, it's possible and there is some benefit to us, but something will always be missing. <coughs> Excuse me. We are relational people. We need each other. And that's, where, that's why when restrictions are lifted, I can't wait to welcome you back to St. John's and St. Margaret's and we can break bread together. This snapshot of the church we see in Acts ends in verse 47, where, which says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. A living church is a growing church. Numbers matter to God because people matter to God. The people saw this vibrant, happy, generous, worshipping community, and they wanted to become part of that. While we may not see 3,000 people added to our church every Sunday, we all have a role in witnessing to Jesus' resurrection in the way we live and the way we love. On Wednesday night, our Alpha course wrapped up. 
In our discussion, one person shared how thankful she was for the welcome she and her family are experiencing in our church. Others shared how helpful meeting together was in helping them grow closer to God. This is why we have a new small group starting on Wednesday night online to keep that community going. Friends, if we don't see people growing in our church and the number of people in our church is growing, something is wrong. If our church is static, something is wrong. We can become so distracted by filling rosters, maintaining buildings and making sure everyone is comfortable that we forget to witness to people who don't know Jesus as we do. As I said at the beginning of this passage, this passage describes rather than prescribes normal Christian behavior. Sadly, we've become so intimidated by skeptics and critics of Christianity that we forget all the wonderful reasons why we follow Christ. I once heard of someone saying, oh no, you're not a Christian, are you? I guess now you're going to try to tell me about Jesus. To which the Christian responded, why wouldn't I? Jesus is the most wonderful person in the world. Friends, evangelism and witnessing is hard. But if Jesus matters in our lives, then we need to witness to his wonder in the way we live and in what we say. We live in a time when when people are looking for assurance, hope and love. We find all these things in Jesus. May our witness follow the example of the first Christians. And may we see new people added to our number regularly and grafted into our church. Friends, Taking Back Sunday is about reclaiming every day for Jesus. It's about allowing God to break open our minds, teaching us to be more like Jesus. It's about breaking open our wallets and encouraging us to give freely and generously, using the money we have as a tool to glorify Jesus and bless others. It's about breaking open the way we worship and using our whole lives to worship our King. Finally, Taking Back Sunday is about witnessing to the goodness of Jesus in our lives and welcoming others into our church family.